We are continuing a, a series that I started on, on the family. Um, we're talking about spiritual authority and this idea of spiritual authority. Our text is 1 Corinthians 11th chapter and verse 3, where Paul writes, Now I want you to realize, everybody say realize, realize, I want you to realize, dawn on you, figure it out, that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Uh, now, we're talking about this idea of uh, what it means to uh, understand what spiritual authority means. This has been a concept I believe that the church has done a really poor job with, and uh, I think with all the best of intentions, but uh, has kind of overstated some things and created an environment that I think that has created more frustration and confusion in Christian homes than in help. Uh, so um, what we're trying to do is trying to correct some of this. Uh, it's a challenge to do so because once you get into a certain pattern of thinking, it's hard to break that thinking. We all have certain things that we just, you know, grown up with and viewed a certain way. And uh, as you all know, it's hard to uh, view life in a different way. It reminds me of a story I heard yesterday on the radio uh, of a guy who uh, had been a professional driver for many years, but then decided, you know, I, he thought he'd like to become a taxi driver. So uh, he got the job, and on his first day, his first fare came in, nice lady, and he greeted her and, and said, you know, he's having a good day, and this was his first day as a, a, a taxi driver, and uh, but was glad that she was there. And they took off, and uh, the lady had to ask him a question, and she didn't want to just shout it out to him, and being his first day and all, so she just reached over and tapped him on the shoulder, and as soon as she did that, he just freaks, and he just pulls on the wheel, and it goes to the left and to the right, and it spins around, and he finally brings it to a stop on top of the sidewalk. He's <laughs> And the lady says, what's the matter with you? And he says, I'm so, I'm so sorry. He says, this, this is my first day as a cab driver. But for the last 25 years, I've, I've been driving a hearse. <laughs> I don't care who you are. That's funny right there. Yes. <laughs> kind of hard to view things a little bit differently. But uh, anyway, in our, in our first lesson on, on this spiritual authority thing, uh, we, we discussed how being the head has more to do with responsibility and not necessarily doing. I, I use the analogy of how many leaders, whether you can be the president, you can be CEO, you can be the coach of a football team, whatever, they don't actually do the doing. Uh, rather, they're responsible to make sure that the doing gets done, but they don't have to be the hands-on doer. In fact... If they get involved in hands-on doing, a lot of times they can get in the way of the way things should be going. Now, the application in the home is that just because the Bible identifies the man as the head, it does not require that he is the one who actually has to do everything of significance. For example, if a woman is better at handling the finances, then let her handle the finances. I'm amazed at how many emails and stuff I get from people all across the country uh, who can't get past this idea. They think they've been taught because the man's the head, you know, whatever that means, that he has to do everything, even if he's terrible at it. And uh, some families that will email me, their finances are a disaster and stuff, because the guy just happens to be terrible at it. Uh, and uh, I said, well, why don't you let her do it if she's better at it? Well, we're trying to be biblical. We're trying to, you know, I'm trying to let him do it as the head. No, 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 that's not what it's talking about. If she's better at it, let, him, let her do it. If she's better at organ, organizing or planning or whatever it is, 
let her do it. It's not some unbiblical usurping of authority for a woman to be an active doer uh, in the home or in church for that matter. I think that's been very much uh, a matter of that's been uh, misunderstood, mistaught, in my opinion. Any teaching that says otherwise, that the man has to do because of this headship thing, it's just plain wrong. And it creates a lot of confusion and frustration. So that was the first message on this. Now, the next part I want to talk to is about this idea of spiritual authority. Because a lot of people say, well, what about spiritual authority, Pastor? Surely this is where the man is ordained by God to lead. A truly godly man is a man who knows more about the Bible than his wife, is more prone to spiritual revelations than his wife, and hears more clearly from heaven than his wife, right? Well, not necessarily. Now make no mistake, this is what has been taught in most evangelical churches for as long as I've been involved uh, over the last 35 years. I mean, how many times have you heard the statement, you know, the man is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home. The man is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home. They say it over and over again. Now few subjects have created more frustration between Christian husbands and wives than this idea of spiritual leadership. Men often feel that their wives are forcing them to be something that they're not. And then women bitterly complain that their husbands are failing to be the leader that God wants them to be. And this stresses the woman out because they feel that their home then is out of order and that God's blessings won't be in their home, etc., etc. Now amazingly, not one time is the phrase spiritual leader or spiritual head even found in the Bible. And I searched through 20 different translations trying to find it one time. It's not there. It never says it. I mean, it's one of those you know, it's one of those things where you say something enough and repeat it often enough, everybody just takes it as fact. You know, like the three kings. You know, the Bible doesn't say there were three kings or three wise men uh, on, at the birth of Christ. Well, where did we get that from? From the song. We three kings of Orient are... You know, we sung it for so many... Everybody just takes this fact. There were three of them. We have no idea how many. There were. It could have been 30 for all we know. It could have been two. Uh, but anyway, it's one of those things you just say often, over and over again. Everybody just takes it as fact. This idea, the Bible says the man's supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home. It doesn't really say that. In fact, that phrase isn't found anywhere in the Bible. Nonetheless... Many continue to advocate that the man is supposed to be the spiritual leader of his home and it is therefore proclaimed that it is the man of the house who should be leading in all things spiritual, that he is the one who should be providing spiritual insights, he is the one who should be hearing from heaven, he is the one who should be proficiently handling the scriptures as he hands out the deep insights concerning biblical truth, etc. And of course, if he doesn't do these things, then the wife is left feeling frustrated that she must now do these things and that her husband is some kind of a spiritual loser. And I hear this complaint quite often. Now, when women come to me and complain about it, they get mad because she says, well, she has to be the one who has to be more aware of spiritual things or she's the one who spends more time in prayer or that she's the one who has to be more literate in all things biblical. And that this perceived imbalance leaves her bitter and critical. (laughs) Which I always find kind of comical. You know, after all, if she is so much more spiritual than her husband, why is she the one full of bitterness, frustration, and anger? It's not exactly my version of spiritual. I know I'm more spiritual because I'm more angry. I must be right. I'm full of bitterness and I want to kill somebody. 
You know, that, that alone should tell you something's wrong in terms of her expectation. Now, in her defense, she has heard countless pastors and Christian teachers say that the husband is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home. She has read dozens of books that say the husband is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home. She has attended numerous women's conferences, which I lovingly refer to as estrogen fests. Where it has been proclaimed the husband is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home. And she's attended more women's Bible studies than can be numbered. Where it was proclaimed that, of course, the husband is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home. Only one itty bitty problem with all of that. Nowhere in the Bible does it actually say that the husband is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home. Or even that he has to even be the most spiritual in the home. Now the Bible does teach that a man is the head of the home. Based on the scripture that we just read. But does that mean he is supposed to be the most spiritual? And besides there's a big difference between what he is. And what some people think he's supposed to be. Or supposed to be doing. And it is that definition of supposed to be. That creates so much trouble and confusion. Remember, Paul wrote, he says, I want you to realize that the man is the head in his home. Okay? Now, it says that he is, not that he's supposed to be, or that he's to be. You see, there's a huge difference here. And the Bible knows the difference. Paul wrote what it was for a, a, a person to be an elder in the church. The person who's an elder or a pastor in the church has to be a certain way. And he has to have his family behave in a certain way. And he should act in a certain way. So they're all totally aware of what it means to be something. But when it comes to this idea of headship, he does not use the phrase to be. He says that he is. He just is. And as Bill Clinton taught us, it all depends on what your definition of is, is. (laughs) Because if you is, you just is. There's no two being about it. And this is really important because once you get this, it'll set you free. It'll set a lot of guys free because a lot of guys look at, you know, oh gee, I don't do this and I don't do that. I guess I'm really not very spiritual about this and I guess I'm not being the leader. And what, what happens is when guys feel like they're being a failure in the area, they pull away from that area. Women don't understand this overwhelmingly. Because women, it, that doesn't bother them that way. If a woman doesn't feel like she's doing well under, she doesn't pull away, but she may, actually might work harder at it. But guys, that's why you coming along and reminding your husband what a loser he is, is not inspiring. Okay? The more you remind him what a failure he is, the more a guy will pull away from it. Because nobody, got, no guy wants to be a failure. But when you start realizing that you are already, that's a little bit different. It's like when Paul was challenging the Corinthian church uh, because they were having all kinds of problems one of their problems and I definitely put this in the problem category is the guys were having sex with prostitutes this would tick me off and he was writing to them and he's talking to them and he says guys don't you understand who you are that's the way he approached it I personally would be yelling and throwing things but he says your problem is you don't realize who you are he says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, that's where that verse comes from. A lot of people quote that, why you ought to take vitamins and exercise. It has nothing to do with that. It's about having sex with prostitutes. 
He said, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you realize who you are, you don't do that. Why? Because when a man understands what he is, now it inspires what he does. But what we've done is try to get man to do, to become an is. Did you follow that? Because <laughs> I don't even know what I just said. All right. <laughs> Figure it out. Okay, so anyway. He already is. And when you start to understand, look, dude, when you understand who you are right now and what your role is right now, it changes. See, it's, it's like... It's like the analogy of, of being a king. You know, people in Eastern culture understand this better than we do in the West. In the West, everything's based on what you do. But in the East, it's, it's based on who you are. A king, for example, is a king because of who he is. Not because of what he does. He might be a great king. He might be a pig of a king. But it doesn't change or alter anything. He's still the king. Why? Based on who he is. Now, what they train these guys is in their culture, look, if you're the king, you are the king, therefore you must act. You see what I'm saying? They don't sit there and say, well, you have to act in a certain way to become the king. So, well, I don't know, it sounds very politically incorrect. Of course it is, you know, because for 30, 40 years in this country, we've tried to advocate that men aren't the head of anything, and it's just, you know, Man's not even necessary in his home, and men are interchangeable. Who cares if there's a man around or not? And in an effort to try and raise women, which I have no problem with. I think women have been put down way too much. But in this whole women's lip thing, in an effort to raise women, so much of it's been an effort to just destroy men. By tearing them down does not lift you up. And this idea that men aren't necessary, men are not needful, and men are just a bunch of losers, who needs them anyway? It's not helpful. Why? Because a man is the head of his own. In fact, this is borne out more and more in studies that have been done. Here's a recent study that uh, well, just came out last month, uh, at least reported by uh, on, on M- MSNBC, not exactly the uh, conservative thought process center of the world, I'll tell you that. You know, these guys tend to be very far out there. But uh, check out the study that they, they talk about. He says, when it comes to preventing risky teen sex, the study says, there may be no better deterrent than a doting father. Teenagers whose fathers are more involved in their lives are less likely to engage in risky sexual activities, according to a new study. All right, now, what the study said was the more attentive the dad and the more he knows about his teenage child's friends, the bigger the impact on the teen's behavior. While an involved mother can also stave off bad behavior in a teen. Dads, the study shows, have twice the influence. Actually, it was more than twice. But then they went into this whole thing and this, as I'm reading this thing. I mean, here they're looking at this thing and they're seeing that for some reason when a man is involved, it has double, more than double the impact on the, chi- on the, impact on the moral and spiritual life of a child. Well, of course, they're uncomfortable with seeing those results, so they've got to come up with some way of explaining it away because, again, this is a culture that's been trying to say men are not really all that necessary. You know, it's great to have, you know, if you need them, but other than that, you know, it doesn't really matter if he's around or not. And it's worse than that. I mean, part of this culture has actually tried to convince us that the biggest threat in the home is the father. I've literally heard people say, you know, uh, you know that the men are the greatest risk to the home. I said, what are you talking about? 
Well, so whenever there's abuse, it's because of a man. You know, they use this kind of a twisted thinking that literally they're trying to say men are not needed. Men are not important. You know, it used to be fathers were lifted up in this country. Remember the TV show Father Knows Best? You know, look at the sitcoms today. Father is a dork. Dad is a dumbbell. Dad is an idiot. He's the punchline. He never knows what's going on. Never, you know, doesn't really matter if you have a father or not. Father, it's not really all that important. So they went into this thing and said, well, maybe the reason that it shows that fathers have twice the influence is because when dad's around, mom feels better. So that's really mom that has the greatest influence. Unbelievable. I mean, these guys are jumping through all kinds of hoops. Why? They don't want to admit in any way, shape, or form that in fact, a man has more than double the impact on the moral and spiritual life of their children. Now, there was a study conducted uh, a few years earlier by the Swiss government. It's kind of interesting. I don't know why they would even study this. But uh, they found an interesting thing. They wanted to do a study on the generational transmission of faith and religious values in the home. Now, in short, the study revealed that it is the religious practice of the father of the family that above all determines the future attendance at or absence from church of the children. The study reported this, that if the father does not go to church... But the mother goes regularly. There is a 2% chance that her children will become lifelong worshipers. Then they looked at the other side. If the mother does not go to church, but the father does take the children, it jumps to 44% chance of that child becoming a lifelong worshiper. It's amazing. Same scenario. When the mom's leading, 2% chance. When the father leads, it jumps to 44. Why is that? Because the man is. And the greatest impact in the life of a child, the moral and spiritual life of a child, is in fact the father. The Bible teaches it and studies show it. What's really fascinating is when you put mom back in the picture, when father and mother both attend church, it drops 11%. Isn't that sad? And they couldn't explain it. Why would it drop to, drop to 33%? I'll tell you why. Because oftentimes women come back in, and when they come back in, they're being very critical of the father. Yeah, you're not so smart, you know. Yeah, yeah, you think you're so spiritual. They like to take chinks out of his armor. But even still, even at, at their worst, chink attacking, it's still 33% versus 2%. And I'm convinced, they didn't study this. I'm convinced, though, when a woman comes in respectfully and continues to support, a father who has solid values, I'm convinced that it jumps to 90%. That's, I have no proof of that, but just what I've seen anecdotally. Uh, couples who stay together, where you've got both of them working together in harmony in the home, these are the ones that overwhelmingly, we've seen this all our lives, these are the ones, these kids do not go out and get involved in drugs and sex and turn their, away from their faith and all this kind of stuff. And one of the big things, you know, 80% of all evangelical young people are giving up on their faith by the second year of college. Why, why, why? We need a new program. We need a new study. No, we need people to start living their faith at home. That's what we need. Anyway, in short, it says this. If a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful his wife's devotions, only one child in 50 will become a regular worshiper. If a father does it regularly, regardless of what the mother does, between two-thirds and three-quarters of the children will become churchgoers. Why? Because a father is. 
Then there was a study, I've shared this with you before, the Southern Baptists did, amazing. They showed that if a woman is the first one to come to faith in the home, there is a 17% chance that everyone in the family will become Christians. If the father is the first one to come to faith in the home, it jumps to 93%. Why? Because a man is the strongest impact on the moral and spiritual life of his children. But now back to this idea of what it means to be the spiritually. I have no problem with the idea that the man is the head and that might could include in spiritual things. I, I have no problem with that. What I'm having a problem with is this idea that because the man is that he has to be the spiritual leader, that he has to do these things. Well, the Bible and other evidence that we just saw shows us that as the head, he has the greatest moral and spiritual impact on the life of his children. The Bible does not say that in his home, a man is required to be more spiritual than his wife. And that is where we get into trouble. Because in a great many homes, women find themselves oftentimes being much more in touch with spiritual things than their husbands. And it frustrates them. Because they've been told that it should be the other way around. But it's not solid teaching. And it's not biblical. In fact, if anything, we see in the Bible that the leader is often not the most spiritual person. We see this played out again and again in the Bible. Whenever you see the idea of a king and a prophet. Over and over again in the scriptures. You'll see that there was the king, the guy who was in charge. And then there was the prophet. There was the king and there was the prophet. Now, who was the most spiritual? It was always the prophet. It was the prophet who was hearing from God. It was the prophet who was speaking words of God. It was the prophet who was challenging the king. But it never made the prophet in charge. Why not? But for some rare exceptions, we see over and over and over again, a delineation between the role of king, the one in charge, the head, and the prophet, the one who was receiving divine revelation. The question is, why the delineation? Why wasn't the one with the greatest spiritual revelation also the one in charge? Why didn't Elijah run the country, man? That would have been cool. Elijah was going around zapping people. He was cool. He was an in-your-face prophet. Did all kinds of miracles. How come he wasn't the king? Man, wouldn't the country have been better off if Isaiah was running the country? Come on, you spiritual people. You'd think, well, wouldn't that be much better than the kings that they had? But it was never that way. Why? I don't know, I have a wild theory. Just maybe, perhaps maybe, God knew what he was doing. (laughs) I know it's a stretch, I know it's out there. Maybe God knew that it would be better off to have a separation between the roles of king and prophet. You see, sadly, the majority of Christian teaching on the home has basically said this, that the husband is both king and prophet. That is what has been taught. The husband's king and prophet. He's in charge and he has to do all the spiritual stuff. He has to be the most spiritual guy. All kinds of spiritual insights. But what if they've been wrong? What if God always intended that the husband and wife are to act together as a type of king and prophet in their homes? Just as the roles of kings and prophets were always representative by two different individuals in the Bible. See, I argue that that is exactly what God intended. In fact, I think if you look around and just be honest with what you see, you see it played out all the time. 
I say all the time, no matter how great the guy is, oftentimes you see women being some of the ones who are the most spiritually in tune in their homes. Even in our home, the redhead is the one who's saying, you who, wake up. You see what your kids are thinking? You see what some, some, somebody's feeling over here? And go, oh, 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 okay, okay, okay. Why is that? I don't know why. Does it make her some usurping of authority? No. That just makes her the prophet. And if we will stop with this thing of trying to force all the roles on a man, and if the man isn't the most spiritual and the women get all mad because their husbands aren't being all this spiritual because it's supposed to be, it's unbalanced, it's nonsense, it is frustrating. Now next week, we're going to open up the scriptures and I'm going to show you, we're going to take a close look at this idea of king and prophet and how it was played out and why it was always played out in two different people. And the end was, the nation was always better off for having the role separate. And I'm going to challenge some of your thinkings on this thing. Because I think when you, at the end of the day, while I do believe, as Paul says, we need to realize this role that God gave. And guys, this is cool stuff. The fact that you are, you is the head. It means you need to man up, man. Be responsible. And ladies, don't tell me my husband isn't being the spiritual head of the home. My husband isn't being the head of the home. Yes, he is. Well, he's not doing everything right. Well, that might be another issue, but he still is. And you guys need to understand, you have a huge influence, impact on the life of of, of your children in your home by what you do or you don't do. What are your standards? What do you believe in? So I'll leave that up to my wife. Come on, man up. Because they're going to keep more off of you than your wife. Every study has shown that is true. You have a responsibility Man up. But it doesn't mean you have to do everything. It doesn't mean you have to be the most spiritual. Don't get freaked out because your wife knows more about the Bible than you do. And you women, quit getting mad at your husband. Well, you know, he doesn't know more. He, he doesn't lead out in incredible prayers all the time. You know? A lot of guys don't do that well. Don't freak out about that. We're going we're gonna to take a look at some of this interesting stuff about the unique role of king and prophet. In the home. All right, we're going to have the ushers at this time come forward and get ready to serve communion. Musicians can come back up on the platform. It's interesting how hard it is for people to change the way they view things, as we saw in our story of the taxi driver viewing things differently in life. But it is hard. We get these preconceived ideas and it's hard to change, but forcing people into the weight of roles that perhaps they were never intended to carry is not being helpful in the home. This played out in a variety of ways, and, and quite frankly, when it comes to the idea of salvation, this is played out all the time. It's amazing how many people, maybe even right now you're in church visiting, maybe for the first time, maybe you've coming for years, I have no idea. But a lot of times people think when it comes to the idea of salvation, that that's, that's their role. They're supposed to be their own savior. He said, well, have you, have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have, no, I, I don't need to do that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I'll, I'll be good enough. You know, if I'm just good enough, I can take care of it myself. No, you can't. It's a role you were never intended to play. In fact, you cannot play it. You can't carry it. You can't be good enough. There's nothing you can do to work off the sins of your life. So what do you do? You put your trust in Jesus. This is the role he played. Jesus came to the earth, the
the Bible says, as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Instead of trying to play a role that you were never intended to play and you can't play. Man, put your trust in him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Invite Christ into your life so you can really start experiencing God and grace in your life. I'm going to invite everybody to bow your heads with me in a word of prayer. If, if you've never truly surrendered and put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer along with us. If, if you will believe these words from the bottom of your heart, you can start experiencing God's forgiveness and grace in your life today. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. You went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.